I Could Murder a Podcast is proudly part of the ACAST Creator Network. For hundreds of extra minisodes and other content, along with our private Discord server and live Q&As, exclusive merch and much more, consider subscribing to icmap.co.uk. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Warning. The following episode contains subject matter and scenes that some viewers may find upsetting, disturbing, or unnerving. Please note, viewer discretion is advised at all times. Sit back and enjoy. What did he tell you? Um, he told me that she had broke his heart. It was extremely wrong for anyone to treat him that way. Um, that he couldn't believe how she stood and looked him face to face and told him she didn't love him and could be that heartless. And he, he told me, he said, almost joking, I think I'm going to kill her. Yeah, I think I'm going to kill her. You didn't know how he was going no, to kill her. No. But he told you that he was he was going to kill her. Yeah. Because she had broken his heart. Yeah. I may have said it as a joke. You know, like, oh man, hey, you know, I can't, you know, I'm going to hell because I'm dating you or something. But I never meant it in the type of way that it seems that she took it. Welcome to I Could Murder a Podcast. We are back once again. You right, Ben? Yeah, I was just doing a dramatic you are. S- sling to the yeah, camera because I'm a slugger. Bulger. Oh, no. Hmm. Okay, uh, Dan, are you good? Sorry, Ben's already brought, brought the tone down. <laughs> no, I'm really good. I'm really good. Jacob, how are you? Yeah, he's been he's been mm. off for me lately. Yeah, me too. Mm. Mm. Bloody bloody bag of bones. <laughs> no, but Ben, seriously, how are you? Yeah, really good, thank you. I'm excited about this week's case. It's a bit different to our norm, and after the last few that we've been through, it it feels even more different to the norm. So yeah, really good on two two fronts there for me. How are you? Yeah, all the fronts are good over this yeah. side, Ben. Great. All the fronts are good. Yes, today's case it is um, it is different to the usual, and it is also you know this is I think it probably is my the first true crime podcast I listened to the serial podcast. Mm. So you know this is a, a huge case has been covered by many podcasts and many documentaries, and it's one that still divides people today. So it's, it's always fun to do one which you know people have different ideas on, so we can speculate. But yeah, it's going to be a big, interesting case. And we're bringing it with kind of three different perspectives today. So we've got Tom who has listened to the Serial Podcast, and you are... Ten years ago. Fair enough. 
happens. Just saying, so I'm not going to be like, oh yeah, that happens to you. Well, you've listened to it, so yes. you get points for that. And you believe that Adnan Saeed is innocent. I do. I haven't listened to Serial, and I believe he's guilty. And then we have producer Dan, who has neither listened to Serial or currently has an opinion on the case. So our opinions might change as we go. Dan will form an opinion. I'm going to bring... I also think, I'm more surprised that you think the way, because we both listened to a podcast which very much details why he's innocent. Yes. Which I can't see how you can dispute any of that information. It was a very eye-opening... Well, I still well, didn't feel like you opened no, your eyes to I, it. I thought my eyes were open, and <laughs> then I just sort of saw a Went rabbit. A, yeah, yeah. And, uh, Start chasing it. Yeah. Yeah. Where's my car? <laughs> And before we start, a big thank you to Gully Garms for dressing us this series. I've gone with the kind of the old the old man cardigan, and Ben's gone for the uh, the baseball the slugger, the baseball slugger. Yeah, Bolger. There, I mean, there's, Bolger. A, there's a ball there. I think that's a ball on jumper for the audio people. And um, yeah, Louisville sluggers. You thought it said Louisville shagger, didn't you? When you first bought it. <laughs> it did. Yeah, that's what caught me eye. Yeah, <laughs> Louisville shagger. You bloody bastard. Yeah. Oh. But why not go to Gully Garms and use our code Kill Ben and Kill Tom with thirty percent off? And they've already knocked the price down twenty five percent. So then you're getting fifty five percent. It's a killer deal. Killer deal. Ain't it just? Yeah, it is. So thank you, Gully Garms. But back to this week's case. Yeah, it's also known as the case of Adnan Saeed, the murder of Heyman Lee, and the serial murderer, which... I came up with that last one. Yeah, I don't think that's a great title. It's a play, though, isn't it? It's a play on words. Because not serial as in he's he's frequently done this, and there's a pattern. Yes, I got the play on words. Serial because of the podcast about him. I don't think it's a play on words. It's a bit like... Yeah, no, I wouldn't see that play. You win some, you lose some. Have you just deleted it from the note? No, 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 I've not yet. Sorry, I will. Oh, you actually deleted it? Yeah. Fair enough. Well, that's fine. Just don't want to make... Yeah, keep it away from the case. (laughs) Adna Saeed, innocent or guilty? I like that. Oh, wow, yeah, you just riff that. Throwing it out there, yeah. Yeah, I think that's probably what we're going to go for. But yeah, Yeah. so um, an interesting one. As I said, this was the kind of the first breakthrough podcast, which was... True crime, which uh, yeah, it's it's got hundreds and millions of, of listens. A lot of people speculate that without it, you know, the cases wouldn't have gone forward, and he wouldn't be a free man today. Mm-hmm. Spoiler alert! As I said, a lot of people, like Ben, believe he's guilty. I'm swayable though, if that's a word. I mean, I can be swayed. Yeah, easily swayed. You don't tend to have a strong opinion on things. Yeah, you're not I'm your own sure. person. Um, no, I'm I'm my own person, yeah. but I'm c- quite carefree. No, I don't know. Yeah. No convictions. Yeah. Okay. Carefree and no convictions. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. fine. Okay, cool. And swayable. Yeah. I mean, you voted for Brexit, Brexit didn't you? Nope, that's an absolute lie. I've never voted for anything in my life. That's even more Apart from that, Remain. <laughs> you didn't vote for it. I did vote Remain. You didn't. I didn't vote for politics stuff. Plug. Like, oh, that. my God. <laughs> I'm even, like, having a small stroke I'd on say Brexit was political. It's more of a feelings thing. None of this is going in. So we haven't covered too many wrongful conviction cases since starting the podcast. We have covered the case of the West Memphis Free on this channel. And we've also, on days gone by, covered the case of Andrew Mallard over on ICMAP.co.uk, which was an, that was a heartbreaking one. Yeah, on days gone by, we did cover that one. <laughs> we did, yeah. But this case in particular, Tom, has so many layers to it, and we're completely aware that new developments are emerging all the time. Saw a video of the victim's brother, very unhappy about the fact that Adnan is now 
walking free. There are several appeals being lodged, so there'll be new developments surely emerge, you know, once this episode has been recorded. This case is alleged perp, and I will say alleged, perpetrator was exonerated on October the 11th, 2022, which is just four months ago at the time that we're recording. So there are definitely developments that could happen from here on out. So we're going to do our very best to be unbiased, despite us already giving our opinions we're going to be unbiased throughout the delivery of the episode and lay out as much of the evidence as we can for you and we've talked about kind of the dynamic in that tom is in the innocence camp i'm in the guilty camp which please don't clip and dan is in the impartial camp so we're going to give a little bit of background to the two key individuals this case revolves around Haymin lee and adnan saeed There isn't a ton of information available about their early lives. We do have a little bit on their backgrounds, but we will focus on the pair meeting and forming their relationship before we move to the timeline. So firstly, we will start with our alleged perpetrator. Did you know what happened? That's not not really. What happened to St. Valentine? The original. The original St. Valentine? No idea. Got got murdered, mate. Yeah. Beheaded. Beheaded? Mm Mm-hmm. Or put a bee on his head. Because he was marrying people, and he shouldn't have been. Got beheaded? Beheaded, man. He decapitated his tater. Adnan Masood Saeed was born on the 21st of May 1981 in Baltimore, Maryland. He is the middle child of three boys born to Shamin Saeed and Saeed Rahman, having an older brother called Tanvir and a younger brother called Yusuf. The family are regularly described as a very caring and loving Muslim family who doted on their three boys. Adnan's mother, Shamim, is a homemaker and his father, Saeed, who had worked most of his life as an engineer, would later take early retirement as a result of the trauma inflicted by his son's alleged crimes. The parents have previously immigrated to America from Pakistan in 1976 and lived in a small rural suburb within Baltimore County. They wanted to raise their boys as Muslims in America. Adnan was described as a very happy and healthy, highly intelligent young child who had many friends in his neighbourhood and was always involved in various sport and academic clubs. He was extremely popular amongst his peers and teachers. Adnan was also very close with his two brothers and his parents throughout his early years. And although the family held fundamental Muslim beliefs, Adnan himself was said to initially share less enthusiasm for religion than his parents, who would prefer him not to mix with the opposite sex from an early age. However, outside of the family home and away from the mosque, he very much would happily make friends with with anybody. Though despite him having kind of a more lenient view on religion from an early age, he would go on to later lead prayers at his local mosque. Adnan attended and would later graduate from Woodlawn High School in Baltimore. Here, he was said to have been an extremely bright and gifted student who had no trouble earning and maintaining good grades. He also excelled at various sports and was said to have been a very good American football player. He went on to play in his high school's football team and there was quite a few photos of him donning his kit. We'll show some of them now, eh, Ben? Sure. I wonder if... No, this is baseball. That's baseball, mate. Completely different sport. He played for the Woodlawn Warriors. No. Unsure which position. Couldn't research that. Got the team for you, though. He was also a star athlete for the school's track team. A lot going on. There were also no issues of abuse, violence or bullying in Adnan's early life. He did not have any kind of social or developmental disorders and he had no trouble making friends and was said to have been a very popular member of his community. Although Adnan did occasionally smoke marijuana with some of his friends and date girls from other cultures and religions, he otherwise did not act out against his parents. The old Mary Jane. Yeah. Marijuana. He excelled at school and sports, and there were no red flags in terms of any criminal or antisocial behaviour whilst he was growing up. Pretty much what you said just then, isn't it? Well, just in a different way. Yeah. (laughs) Why are you giggling so much? I'm just in a really good mood. Okay. Let's see how long it lasts. It is really out of the ordinary. Enough of your own joke. 
this is very different to the usual cases we cover. Usually by this time, we would have gone through the childhood where there's been... I mean, it has a religious family, which but it's not caused any kind of rift between them. No. Um, there's been no abuse in the household. There's no heavy drinking. There's no signs of neglect from the parents. It seems to be a relatively nice childhood and it yeah. seems to be like he's he's excelling well at school there seems to be no antisocial behavior so this is probably the nicest childhood we've ever covered apart from chris watts you would probably say well, yeah because th- th- at this point adan's very very popular with all of his friends and family sportsman he's a sportsman in all yeah. the teams all the loads and loads of teams a couple of teams you mentioned yeah, the track and the uh, yeah the woodlawn warriors yeah the american, um, the american football team yeah but with chris watts obviously he had less exposure to female relationships, whereas Adnam had a lot of female friends, very confident with females. So, yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, it's, um... <laughs> so, yeah, it's a perfectly normal childhood, but his story would very suddenly and very drastically change, much like Chris Watts. In the summer of 1995, Adnam would meet and later enter a relationship with a young lady named Haymin Lee, whom he met at Woodlawn High School. Both of them were 15 at the time, with Hay being seven months older than Adnan. The pair met on the first day of attending their ninth grade biology class, and they were also both members of the school's magnet programme. Magnet programme? No wonder they were so attracted to one another. Yeah, absolutely spot on there. Yeah. What is a magnet program? A magnet program in America, magnet schools or magnet programs are public schools with specialised courses. And the reason they call them magnet, Tom, it basically refers to how the schools draw students from across other school zones to feed into certain schools. So basically, if a school does like a specialist program, because Baltimore's a big place, I imagine. <laughs> it's a big place, right, Baltimore? I imagine. Yeah. So it basically brings different students from different school zones into the same curriculum i suppose it's like the gifted and talented over here yeah kind of yeah were you in that i i was sort of on the outskirts i went to the gifted gifted and talented did you really yeah for what that's just people it's your cat scores oh people score very highly and they got to go to yeah i never i don't even know if i did a cat score yeah maybe get a cat scan (laughs) you know what i mean Um, i do i know what you mean do you yeah oh sick man you're progressing So yeah, both of them were 15. They both met at biology. Done the joke before, but there was a lot of chemistry in the biology class. And as I mentioned, they would not become a couple until almost three years later. Both of them were smart, confident and athletic and shared numerous common interests. Hey Min attended the class via the magnet programme. The pair would later begin dating in early 1998 and their relationship quickly became very intense and very passionate. Ooh. That's so unnecessary. Um, not lose women. We will go on to describe this in greater detail shortly. The pair would go on to attend the high school prom together as a couple in April of 1998, where Adnan would be named Prom Prince. Some uh, sites out there refer to it as Prom King, but it was junior high, so Prom Prince. And his friend Stephanie would be named Prom Princess. As is tradition, the Prom Prince is supposed to share the first dance with the Prom Princess. However, in front of an unsuspecting audience, Adnan opted to instead share his first dance with Haymin, who immediately fell for Adnan in that moment. There are then some very infamous photos taken of the couple together at the prom. They had also later shared the first kiss that night. So of this moment, Hey Min wrote in her diary, Me and Edna were dancing like crazy and hugging and kissing. I swear, he's the sweetest guy. Let me tell you why. He was prom prince and Stephanie was prom princess. And traditionally, they're supposed to dance together to my song, Casey and JoJo's All My Life. They start dancing together. I try to act natural and unjealous, 
but it did kind of bother me. Ten seconds later, guess who danced with me? And not with Stephanie. Adnan! Now, how can I not falling in love with this guy? Of course, I gave him his first kiss on the lips, then I totally fell in love with him. Since then, I keep on falling deeper and deeper into him. The bad thing is, we have to keep things secret. Huh. But it's okay, because love conquers all. See, from that letter, you can see how madly in love they've fallen for one another. It's very teen, sort of overcome by the moment sort of love. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And yes, so you can see they're besotted with one another, which makes this story all the more interesting. What started as flirting across the classroom slowly began to escalate to kissing in the corridors. The pair, though very well matched on a social scale, had to continue to keep their relationship a secret. They would end up meeting on the outskirts of town, booking hotel rooms in different cities, and sneaking off on road trips together. Initially, the pair fell head over heels for one another, very much believing that they had found their true love. They had found their counterparts, both popular, both intelligent, both confident, both athletes, and both from loving and very demanding families. The pair would also begin to send many love letters to one another, leaving them in their lockers for the other to receive. Just don't get that as much over here, do you? We don't have lockers, really, do we? No, exactly. So that'd be hard, wouldn't it? Yeah, well, where would you leave them? Where would you leave them? I don't think you should do it anymore, though. You're a bit older to that. Fuck. Where should I leave them? <laughs> Well, like you've had lunch. On this, Adnan said, We had a lot of, I guess, we had a lot of real similar types of situations with our families. Adnan's parents were strictly against the idea of Adnan having female friends, especially if they were of different religious or cultural backgrounds. Adnan would go on to say, You know, it was really easy to date someone that kind of lived within the same parameters that I did with regards to she didn't have the expectation to me coming to the house for dinner with her family. She understood that, that if she was to call my house and, you know, speak to my mother or father, I would get in trouble and vice versa. So we'd have to kind of set up talks on the phone. Usually we'd talk late at night when our parents were sleeping. Because back then, what is this, the sort of early 90s, if you had someone on the, the house landline, very easily if someone else picked up another phone in the house, they could listen in. And both their parents were kind of prone to listening into their conversations. So they had to be careful and calculated as to when they did it. Both Adnan and Hey Min would keep their relationship hidden from their respective families for fears that they would not approve due to both religious and cultural differences. This caused immense pressure on the pair. And as Adnan grew into his early adulthood, he was put under increased pressure from his family to not only continue to perform well academically, but to also focus any of his spare time on his religion, and also to settle down with a nice Muslim girl. Knowing that he had already entered a committed relationship with Hey Min, who was of a different ethnicity and religion, this began to put a lot of inner turmoil on Adnan. Though their relationship was described by many as a standard high school relationship, it did become strained over time due to Adnan having to spend so much time in his local mosque with his family. Heyman and her friends would describe Adnan as so religious for somebody that didn't connect with the religion. He was pressured into this by his parents, again according to Heyman and her friends. Adnan would later argue this by saying, I was never as passionate about my religion or my family's church as she described. I was just doing what I was told. And this would continue to escalate over the years to the point that Adnan would eventually have to choose between Heymin and his religion. After leaving school, Adnan started training up and working as an EMT, which is an emergency medical technician. He wanted to start earning money for his savings. He would mostly travel on the back of an ambulance comforting the patients they were transporting. With some speculating that it was here that he learned how to strangle someone or deprive them of oxygen. And equally importantly, how to revive someone if he should wish to do so. 
Now, we will move to the primary victim of this case, and of course, all the family members involved have since become victims, and many argue that Adnan himself is also a victim. Heimin Lee was born on October 15, 1980, in South Korea. She was one of two children born to Yoon Wa Kim, her mother, and her father has not, at the time of recording, been publicly named. She also had a younger brother called Young Lee. Heimin, her brother, and her mother immigrated to America in 1992 when she was aged 11, and the family would go on to start living with her grandparents in Maryland. The family lived together in one large household and was said to have been a fairly strict family, enforcing a strong work ethic and instilling a belief that the children's education came before anything else. The two Lee children were made to work and study throughout most of their spare time from a very early age, whilst also learning to speak, read and write English. This was made easier for Hei Min as she was an extrovert and she began to socialise with children in her neighbourhood very quickly and very comfortably. Who are you going to call? Hey Min, because she's just getting some of everyone, really. Yeah, grafter, from what I've heard. Someone being nice in the neighbourhood. Who are you going to call? Hey Min Lee. She's passed away. You started it. As an infant, Hei Min was always very happy and energetic, and despite coming from a home where her parents' relationship was clearly quite strained, and with the absence of a clear father figure, she had a very normal, healthy childhood. She was extremely close with her brother, Young Lee. Serial podcast host Sarah Koenig said of Hei Min, she was cheerful and light and funny, that she loved the movie Titanic, that she sometimes put nail polish on just so she could pick it off. I said of glue. Did you? In the hand. Oh, the old PVA. Uh, glue gun. A glue gun? Mm. Like industrial glue? Industrial glue. Used to say that's, that's dangerous. To a school, didn't you? Yeah. Glue with the woodwork. Put it on your thumb. Hurts a bit. Push them together. Whatever you dry. Peel it off. What's my fingerprints in there? Acrylic paint was also quite good for that if you're in the art class and try, you know, sort of get a bit of orange and a bit of yellow and flamey hand. Acrylic paint? Because it dries oh, paint. very... Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. So, what, are you talking about finger painting? No, yeah, just yeah. putting some paint what, on a plate. What year was this? Just, uh, I think I was about 16. Yeah, <laughs> yeah just flavy what? hand. <laughs> Teacher's like, flavy hand, Ben. Like, yes, teacher. <laughs> Didn't know his name. So, yeah, so she would sometimes put nail polish on just so she could pick it off. She wasn't insecure, seemingly ever. Sprite was her favourite soda, the Dallas Cowboys her favourite team. Not because she cared about football, but because she liked the colours blue and silver that she could charm you without trying, that she was a good friend to her friends, that she took in their problems and their pain and tried to help them if she could. So, yeah, I mean, like like Adnan as well, they've both been described as very positive, very popular young people um, in, the, in the local community. And, and Hey Min in particular was just described so positively by everybody that knew her. So Hey Min would go on to attend Woodlawn High School in Baltimore, where she was described as a highly intelligent, bright young lady. She performed well academically, but also performed well in sports, just like Adnan. Heyman was part of the varsity hockey team as well as the varsity lacrosse team, and she was said to have been very good at both sports. She was described as tall and slender, whilst also being highly athletic. In an interview with Lax Lacrosse magazine, Catherine Twig Erdelt, one of Heyman's former teammates, had this to say. God, she was beautiful on the field. She was just beautiful. Watching her flip between defenders and watching a pure expression of grace and speed. We all bobbed and weaved, but she danced. She made every play look like it was choreographed. I would say that she loved lacrosse but it would be just as true to say she loved everything. She loved life and explored everything with the same verve, and she was hell-bent on bringing you along for the ride. 
I can't really even remember what she looks like without a huge grin on her face. Whilst studying and training as an athlete, Heymin also took on part-time employment at Lenscrafters as a sales assistant. She would manage her time well between work, school and seeing her many friends and family. As well as this, Heymin also managed the boys' wrestling team. It's quite impressive, isn't it? Why? Manage, managing a wrestling team. It's a lot of work. Lenscrafters as well. What is Lenscrafters? I think it's an optician. Oh, we could easily check, aren't we? We could easily check. I hope it's an opticians. Why do you hope it is? Because lens crafters, what else would it be? Yes, it is essentially Ben an opticians. Brilliant. And back to the case. What would you put in an honour roll? Steak. Steak. Steak and honour roll. You were making a pun worse. She was an honour roll student who belonged to multiple extracurricular clubs, including the Ecology Club, the French Club, and the SADD. <laughs> Which stands for Students Against Destructive Decisions. I think we're all against them, aren't we? Have you made any destructive decisions in your life? We all have. Uh, not recently, I think. That's fair enough. What about you? Yeah, not recently. Not recently. Yeah. Getting a new kitchen put in. That's not true. That's creative. Destructive. Yeah, true. Ripped it out, mate. Took the lot. Everybody who spent time with her seemingly loved her and would remark on her infectious smile. Compassion for others, confidence in her ability to be expressive, and positive attitude. Her expressiveness is something that could be revealed further by her many diary entries, and these entries would later form part of the case against Adnad Saeed, but they also provide a remarkable insight into her state of mind and the pair's relationship dynamic. So as we've previously mentioned, Adnan and Heymin met one another when they were 15, and they wouldn't start officially dating until they were aged 17 and 18, respectively. Both of them had very active and demanding school lives, social lives, sporting commitments and parents. And both of them feared that their parents would not approve of their new partners. So they opted to do their best to keep their relationship a secret. And Heyman's diary entries proved to be quite revealing of the challenges they would face. A lot of the podcasts you listen to or, or any documentary you watch with this all say the same thing. Very Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, I've heard, heard that one. a few times now. I can understand the comment. Can yeah, understand I can the understand the observation. That, yeah, but I'm going to go with something different. Okay. I'm going to do the Baz Luhrmann film. Romeo and Juliet. Different. Oh, yeah, I see it. Yeah. Because yeah. Yeah. they shouldn't be the family's like, no, don't go together. <laughs> That's not how it wasn't an accent. <laughs> okay, I'll do it. Because the family's like, no, you can't be together. No way. And they're like, oh, but I like him. She likes me. Can we just work this out? And they're like, no. And that results in, yeah. It's bad, isn't it? Yeah. Apparently, w William Shakespeare, apparently he's written loads of good stuff. Really what? Loads of good stuff, apparently. He has, yeah. Well, I've heard. I've not tried Scott, it. He wrote a thing called the Scottish play. Yeah. And wrote, there's a guy called Bottom. Another one, is, another one of his. So that's Shakespeare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. He's a uh, he's pretty, pretty cool guy. On one particular fallout with Adnan, Heymin writes in her diary, How dare he get mad at me for planning to hang with Isha? I'm in a real bitch attitude, and Adnan is not helping. He hasn't called me since 12.30 this afternoon, and it's definitely pushing me to the edge. I think I'm going to pick a fight. The relationship between Heymin and Adnan, though intense, eventually encountered turbulence, with Heymin briefly moving with her family to California and the pair becoming further strained. Heymin allegedly also started to tell close friends that Adnan was controlling and manipulative with a very short temper. The pair spent all of their time together in the summer before the senior year. They would again do their best to keep this a secret from their families and would page one another. Page? Never, never had a pager. I don't think it's a really big thing over here. Dan, did you have a pager? No. Beeper? Uh, same thing? Beeper? 
Is that the same thing? No. You just beep my pager. Just page my beeper. Bop it. Page it. Beep it. And we paged one another once the coast was clear. They were 17 and this was in the late 90s. They were still very much in love, but they were also highly tumultuous together, as often in the case with teenage relationships. You have a lot of tumultuous relationships when you were a teenager, Ben? I only had a couple and they were... Tumultuous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, they were plain sailing for the most part. Until the tumultuous started happening. Until the tumultuous took over mm. and the sail is that, is, that why, is that why you want to do the case about the boat wreck yeah it's, it's a it's a good analogy for my love life mm. any survivors just one where did you bury the bodies oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> the couple would have sex whenever and wherever they could sometimes in other people's houses sometimes in their cars sometimes in parks and sometimes at motels on the outskirts of the city Sometimes the couple would fight, break up, and then they'd quickly make up and get back together. And on a couple of occasions, Heyman broke the relationship off altogether for a week or so, but would then ask for Adnan back and patch things up. You get that a lot with sort of teen relationships, don't you? We break up, we make up, get back together. I wouldn't know now, but... No, uh, no, same. Okay. Um, Yeah, yeah, it's a bit of a hurricane, isn't it? Yeah, I think a hurricane is a good shout. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure you'll find the right one. Stop it. There's no way then you've... No. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) He's fine. But it doesn't make it in, just send it to me. No. Yeah, well, that's fine. Well, no, it's not fine. (laughs) (laughs) I'll bet you will, dirty sod. But yeah, I mean, that's fairly typical of, of some teenage relationships, isn't it? Highly into one another, but also... It's a highly emotional relationship. Yeah. Yeah. The relationship becomes more fractured as Adnan begins to take his religion even more seriously, regularly attending religious conventions across the country with his father. On this, Hay wrote in her diary, It's just all the things that stand in the middle. His religion and Muslim customs are the main things. It irks me to know that I'm against his religion. He called me a devil a few times. I know he was only joking, but it's somewhat true. That's, uh... Well, if he's joking, ain't it? Yeah, but her saying, but it's somewhat true, I guess she's mm. feeling guilty for... She's feeling devilish. I wonder if she wears Prada. She goes on. He told me that his religion means life to him. He tried to remain a faithful Muslim all his life, but he fell in love with me, which is a great scene. But he told me there's no way he will ever leave me because he can't imagine a life with me. Then he said that one day he will have to choose between me and his religion. I love him so much, and when it comes to choosing, I'm going to let him go his way. I hate the fact that I'm the cause of his scene. He said that I shouldn't feel like I'm pulling him away from his releasing, but hello, that's exactly what I'm doing. In response to this, when later questioned, Adnan said, I'm going to fit it as a joke. You know, like, oh, man, hey, you know, I can't, you know, I'm going to hell because I'm dating you or something. But I never meant it in the type of way that it seems that she took it. The couple also encountered a number of different issues from one another's families. And we've kind of mentioned before they didn't approve of of the relationship altogether. However, it's also speculated that around the same time, Heyman also grew particularly fond of a co-worker at Lenscrafters named Don Kleindist. We're going to talk about Don a lot more in this episode. Yes, we are, Benjamin. Interesting character. She wrote in her diary on Don. What's the matter with me? Every time I close my eyes, I see my baby. But I keep on thinking about someone else. Don, I love you, Don. I think I have found my soulmate. I love you so much. I fell in love with you the moment I opened my eyes to see you in the break room 
for the first time. Do you know what he looks like now? This Don guy. Yeah. Can't remember because the only photo I've seen of him is really pixelated. Is he? Is that picture of him? Yeah, that's the only picture I've seen. He killed her. On another page of her diary, she writes Don's name 127 times. She had a bit of a habit of writing his name loads of times small, but the small versions of his name would make up one large Dom. Oh. She did the same with Adnan. Just big Adnan and then loads of little Adnans in the middle. Be easy with Ben and Tom and Dan. It's just three letters. So it's Don. Yeah, it'd be easy with Don, but Adnan is... Don's kind of a cross between mine and Dan's name, isn't it? Yeah. That's it. Yeah, let's, we'll see what happens with Don. But you think Adnan's guilty, so... In October of 1998, whilst Adnan and Heyman are at homecoming, Adnan's parents arrive at the school and make a huge scene. There's lots of talk about this particular incident that it really, really pushed Heyman to decide to end the relationship. So basically, the parents make a surprise appearance at their son's homecoming, and there they see uh, Adnan with his arms around Heyman. They disapprove, first of all, of the fact that their son had been attending a mixed-gender dance and are also furious to see him with his hands on Heyman. As I said, many have speculated that this would ultimately lead to Heyman breaking up with Adnan. So Heyman would actually then go on to break up with Adnan, and she would do this by basically giving a friend of hers to pass a note to him, and he did not take this note particularly well. Within this note, she called him out for being hostile and cold and choosing religion over her. The prosecution would later describe these events as follows. He saw his mother raise her voice at Haley in front of his classmates. Look what you're doing to our family. He saw the pain in his mother's face because she knew they were together. And he saw himself, in the end, standing there with nothing to show for it but a guilty conscience and a pack of lies in which he cloaked himself. So at this point, obviously, we've shared some of her diary entries. And within that diary, it's not completely clear of the exact moment that she bre- she makes the decision to break up with him. She seems to be kind of tossing and turning between the ideas of being with Ad- Adnan or with Don. So one minute she's writing about how out of love she is with Adnan, the next minute she's back in love with him. Mm. But she's also writing a lot about Don and growing more and more fond of Don. And she seems very conflicted. So she seems very kind of stuck in what to do. However, the next entry we see after this kind of December period is uh, the decision to go on a date with Don. So you can interpret from that that she's decided to end things with Adnan. After ending her relationship with Adnan shortly before the Christmas of 1998, Hey Min went on her first date with Don on New Year's Day of 1999. This rejection and subsequent news that she was dating another man absolutely broke Adnan, who had never experienced loss or rejection ever before in his life. He was said to be crying in one moment and infuriated the next. He felt humiliated and betrayed, and these were feelings that he'd never experienced before in his life. The prosecution's eventual star witness would be a man named Jay Wilds, who has been speculated that he wasn't really a friend of Adnan, it was more of an acquaintance. They would drive around together occasionally and hang out after school, but it was mainly based around marijuana. They liked to smoke together, and yeah, it wasn't a particular the strong friendship, though Jay was dating one of Adnan's close friends. But we'll talk about him in a little bit more detail later on. So Jay will go on to say to the police later on about how the uh, breakup impacted Adnan. He would go on to say this. Um, he told me that she had broke his heart. It was extremely wrong for anyone to treat him that way. Um, that he couldn't believe how she stood. He looked him face to face and told him she didn't love him and could be that heartless. And he, he told me, he said, Almost joking me. I think I'm going to kill her. Yeah, I think I'm going to kill her. So 
it's probably worth saying at this point, Jay Wilds himself is a very polarizing character. He's someone who has been proven that his statements have changed multiple times. Yeah. It's been speculated that he's very much been led by the police a lot in this, but he's a big character in this, which people, I think, take a lot of things he's what he says with fistfuls assault definitely yeah he can't keep a story straight whatsoever at the same time adnan's close friends and family and even some of Heymin's close friends said that adnan seemed normal and unaffected by the breakup so if you compare that obviously to the words that jay wilds has used it's very strikingly different wildly different it is and the friends would even say that he took the breakup just as any other person would sadly but with the view that he would eventually get over it and find someone new after all, he was the prom prince and many other female friends were very, very keen on him. Some have alleged that he even started dating multiple other girls almost immediately after the breakup. So yeah, that's high contrast to Jay Wilde's statement about how angry and resentful he was. I believe everyone else's opinion over Jay Wilde. I'm on your side. Hmm. I'm on your side. So later reflecting on the breakup, Adnan said the following to the Serial Podcast. We found that she ended the relationship or took a break. It was never a thing where I was like pestering her or like going to her house, knocking on the door or, or chasing her down. Look, I want to get back with you. I want to get back because of the part, you know, there, there, there was a part of me that knew that, man, what she said, it didn't make sense. So, yeah, so pretty much that we were just friends, you know, um, we would talk about things like she would tell me about uh, um, someone that she had met at her job, uh, a guy named Don, and she was like, you know, she really liked him. Well, mind you now, you talking, you know, 15 years later, I mean, you know, she was upset. I was upset, you know, with times where I was very sad. And maybe I would kind of be like a little stubborn about it. Like, no, no, we can make it work. You know, our parents look cool or whatever. But on the other hand, it was never a thing where I was like, you know, screaming, yelling at her. Why are you leaving me? Or kind of dispel that. That, no, that, that, that. that was never my behavior, you know, at all. Shortly before her disappearance, which we'll go on to discuss, Heyman did an interview with a local TV station, Channel 36, about sports activities in which she describes trying to manage her education and athletic responsibilities. We'll share this with you now. How about any school activities while you're here? Um, I played field hockey for two years, I played lacrosse for three years, and I also managed boys wrestling. Hmm, that's a lot to do. Do you have yeah. time to um, have a job while you're doing this? Yeah, I try to manage my schoolwork and my after school work. It is some of the last footage of Hey Min that is available. And it is here that we move on to our timeline. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. 
Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. January 13th, 1999. The school day ends at 2.15pm. Heyman Lee tells her friends that she has to pick up her little cousin after school and afterwards she will meet her boyfriend, Don Clandinst. It was not unusual for Heymin to pick up her cousin and she was always punctual when she did so. When Heymin does not arrive to collect her cousin, suspicions arise. The cousin's school decided to call Heymin's brother. He is told that Heymin has not arrived to collect her cousin and her brother starts to panic. He immediately calls Heymin's place of work when they tell him that Heymin is not scheduled to work until 6pm. He then calls Heymin's best friend, Aisha. When Aisha tells Young that she has not seen Heymin, he calls her school as a last resort, and no one has seen her there either. The whole of Heymin's family is now desperately worried. This was extremely out of character for Heymin. She had never missed picking up her cousin from school and certainly would not just vanish as it had seemed. Heymin's family call the police, and when the police arrive, Heymin's diary is handed over to them as evidence by Heymin's grandmother. She hoped it would give them some indication of her granddaughter's whereabouts. With Heymin now missing, police begin to search nearby areas where Heymin could have been residing. At the time of her disappearance, an ice storm had hit the city. This was causing power shortages and had even closed the school that she attended for two days. The police theorised that Heymin may have been seeking shelter with a friend or another place in such poor weather conditions. Police continue to search for Heymin. They call her boyfriend's house. Don did not arrive home until 7pm from his shift at Lenscrafters and by this time the police had already been and gone. Don did not call back the detectives until 1.30am on the 14th of January, so the following morning. And this is when he tells police that he was meant to meet Heymin after work but she never showed. As we mentioned earlier with Don, we're going, to, we're going to be discussing him a bit further in further detail later on. His timeline is very shaky, so him arriving at 7pm and whatnot, yeah, it, it depends what you believe, but we're going to go into that a lot more detail later on. But also the fact that he, he doesn't return the call until 1.30am. Yeah, if, you're pleased, if police are calling, if you, you're, you'd return the call very promptly, let alone if you did arrive at 7, why would you wait six hours and yeah. why especially if it's to do with your missing girlfriend your very recent like recent relationship that you've started as mm. well you're like two weeks into the relationship or two weeks after the first date yes yeah, so it's very very peculiar january 15th 1999 to this point friends of hey min were not too worried about her disappearance school had been cancelled for a few days and with phones not being popular yet friends presumed hey min was sick was taking a few days away with her new boyfriend it's only when hey min does not attend a friend's birthday party on the 15th of january that friends begin to become concerned on this day, Adnan is questioned by the police for the first time, and his version of the day is as follows. So, it's a typical school day, but at 10.45, Adnan has a telephone call with Jay, where he offers Jay his car. At 11.15 to 11.30, Adnan is taken back to school by Jay. Adnan was good friends with Stephanie, who was going out with Jay at this time, and Adnan had reminded Jay about getting her a present, so he lent him, lent him his car in order for her to go get a, get a present for her, basically. At 1.27pm, a note on the top of the teacher's document reveals that Adnan arrived to class late. At 2.15 to 3.30pm, Adnan alleges that he went to Woodlawn Public Library. It's here they would see Asia McLean, which is a very relevant thing to note at, at this time. At 6.07 to 6.24, a detective calls Adnan looking for Hey Min Lee. At 7 to 8, Adnan makes his way home and collects food before taking them to his father to the mosque. It's 8 to 10 or to 10.30, Adnan's father testifies that both of them are there saying their evening prayers at the mosque. So yeah, clear timeline from him there. 
a lot of people reported seeing him witnessing him and yeah if we'll go on to where timings don't quite add up for certain things but yeah he's given his account there Tom's covered the key parts here but there's a full like he gives every hour every minute of the day from 7.45 in the morning through to 10.30pm at night he's he's accounted for so yeah. yeah it's quite a comprehensive yeah timeline as Tom said January 28th 1999 Heyman's friend Debbie Warren tells the police that she spoke to Heyman on the day of her disappearance at roughly 3pm Heyman tells Debbie that she was going to meet Don at the mall after school but she had to do something first after hearing that Heyman has gone missing Debbie contacts Don and they have a 7 hour phone conversation during which Don continually flirts with Debbie and asks if he can visit her over spring break which is extremely disturbing seen as his recent partner's just gone missing yeah and yeah it, it's been alleged who was the person that Heyman was what did Heyman need to do you know what was she going to do before meeting Don it's been you know speculated but it's never really been proven and it's, it's a kind of pocket of her time which can't be accounted for and although Heyman and Adnan were both very popular students within their kind of school circles Don was slightly older he's like four or five years older than them both and he was viewed as like this older cool guy mm. he'd obviously been working with Heyman as well but the fact that he's then while she's missing flirting with a, another young girl it's yeah really strange behaviour February 1st 1999 the police ask French teacher Hope Sharp to help in their investigation they give the teacher a list of questions to ask the students to help uncover more about Heyman and Adnan's relationship Hope was a young well-liked teacher and so it would not seem odd for her to ask these questions February 3rd, 1999, Adnan's criminal records are subpoenaed by the police. So important to note here, that only Adnan's records get subpoenaed by the police. Yeah, no one else. No one else who's, who's been, um, could possibly be suspected was opened at this time, which is incredibly odd. Even Don, who's behaving, like Adnan at this point is fully complicit. He's, he's going in to be interviewed by police. He's returning phone calls. He's showing up. Don is like not returning phone calls for six hours, but making seven hour phone calls to mm. Heyman's friend. Yeah. away. February 4th, 1999. Don is interviewed in person for the first time nearly a month after his girlfriend goes missing. And I, I get like the ex-boyfriend is, is always going to be the key person, but then it's also the partner as well at the time is the key yeah. person. So why they're waiting a month? Yeah, it's incredibly backward. And during this whole time, obviously, she's been missing a month. There's a huge search going underway. There are missing posters about town. The community are really struck by the fact that this, this girl has gone missing with seemingly no explanation. And then we arrive at February 9th, 1999. And this is when, unfortunately, Heyman Lee's body is found in Leakin Park. So Leakin Park in particular uh, was quite well known for criminal activity. And there had been bodies found in this park previously. A month before this case, someone had been found strangled who was, went to the same school. Yeah, um, it was same a young age. girl, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 So. Her body was found by Alonzo Sellers, who claims he stumbled upon the body after he got out of his car to urinate in the woods. Alonzo was a maintenance worker for Coppin State College and admitted that he had been drinking and driving. Basically, he pulled up, he went to a slightly more remote area of the forest and he could see hair mm. coming out of the surface of the soil. So, yeah, um, really, really harrowing sight, harrowing discovery. You may also hear Alonzo referred to as Mr. S. So surname was Sellers, Mr. Sellers. Alonzo would go on to talk about how he walked through the bushes within the park and got back to a, a secluded area where he felt it was safe to urinate. And when he looked down, he saw something that looked like hair. Something was covered by dirt. He had a further inspection of what he was looking at. And that's when he also saw what looked like a foot. The police are called... The body is found to be in a shallow grave and it has been somewhat concealed by soil and leaves. Mould could be seen on the body 
and the victim's white jacket and skirt and bra had been pulled up. The body is later confirmed to be that of Haymin Lee. Haymin's cause of death is found to be strangulation. Analysis conducted on the body finds that she died at roughly 2.36pm and was buried in the park around 7pm. However, the HBO documentary that would later be made about the case would find that Heyman was buried between 10.30pm and 2.30am the following day. There is no alcohol or drugs found within her system. She has two diamond-shaped marks just below her shoulders, which experts say indicates that she would have had something pushing against that part of her body for between 8 and 12 hours. This does not fit in with the timeline widely believed to be true. Or what the police made to be true. Originally, there are no immediate suspects. However, the use of strangulation to murder Hay would suggest that this was a crime of passion due to its intimate nature. Therefore, it is most likely someone she knew or had links to. Furthermore, there was no sign of struggle on the body. It's odd that, isn't it? I get the, the idea and the mentality behind that thinking that makes it personal, but surely that, if you just go under that assumption... You're then ruling out... Strangulation yeah. is also silent, Yeah, for the most part. Yeah, it's, it just seems, seems like it's quite sweeping to go, oh, no, they must have known her if they strangled her. It's just, I mean, I'm not saying they completely ruled anyone else out, but I, I just find it odd sometimes how they just can link that to that and be like, oh. They usually say that for someone to strangle someone, you, yeah, I mean, the reason it's more intimate is because the... You're looking at them. Very, it, you're very involved, whereas mm. if you quickly shoot someone or stab someone... Yeah, it's more impersonal, I get that, Yeah. But. On February 12, 1999, Daryl Massey, a detective working on the case, receives an anonymous phone call at 3.19pm. The caller tells him that he should investigate Adnan Saeed. The caller tells the detective that Adnan had previously taken Haimin to the park where she was buried to engage in sexual acts with her. They also stated that Haimin had also broken off the relationship a week before she disappeared. The caller then disconnected the call, only to call back at 3.25pm. This time the caller called the homicide unit and told them that a friend of the caller was threatened by Adnan a year ago. Adnan told them that if he ever hurt his girlfriend, he would drive her car into a lake. I mean, going off what everyone else says of Adnan, just... It seems quite out of character. Yeah, but, as well, but even if... Who says that kind of thing? Mm-hmm. If, and if he did say that, that's a crazy thing to be saying. But it is important to note that there was also a $3,075 reward from Crime Stoppers for any information which would lead to an indictment, which is a very specific amount of money. 3075 Despite the incentive, the caller was never identified, and the only bit of information identifying them was that they had an Asian accent. The police tried to identify the caller, but the caller was out of state, so they couldn't locate them which is mysterious within itself. It is important to note that an undisclosed person did collect this reward money. Many have speculated that this money would go to Jay Wilds, a kid who wanted a motorbike that was one of his teachers were selling. Mr. Brown, the teacher in question, said he sold the motorbike to someone else. So as we mentioned Jay Wilds earlier on, an acquaintance more than a friend, he's going to become a very big part of this case. But this idea that he did it for that reward money, yeah. because of what he goes on to say and confess, which we're going to go on to... Lines up, doesn't it? February 26, 1999. Following the anonymous call, the police decide to look deeper into Adnan Saeed. They obtain his phone records, and again, not many people had mobile phones at this time either. It was quite a, a rarity, but Adnan did have one. And this is when police bring in Jen Pusateri for questioning. She was contacted the most by this phone on the day of Heymin's disappearance. Jen tells them during an interview that on the day of Heymin's disappearance, Jay arrived at her house in Adnan's car. Jay also had Adnan's phone. After Jay received a call from Adnan at around 3.30pm, he left to go and pick him up. Later that evening, Jen meets Jay and Adnan at Westview Mall. 
They were in the parking lot of the mall and this is when Jay confesses to Jen in her car that Adnan had killed Haymin and that he had helped in the disposal of her body. Jay tells Jen that he saw Hay's body in the boot of Adnan's car. Jay then tells Jen to go behind the mall and make her way to the dumpsters. Jay had provided Adnan with the shovel that he allegedly used to bury Heyman's body and so needed to clean his fingerprints off the item. There is audio available of, of Jay's many interviews with the police, one of which he goes on to kind of quite vividly describe his recollection of events, which are, again, as Tom mentioned earlier, to be taken with kind of a pinch of salt. But he described Heyman as being tied up like a pretzel in the boot of Adnan's car. So Jay had obviously also uh, alleged that he provided Adnan with a shovel that they used to bury Heyman's body. Adnan is questioned by police on this day. His father is present and Adnan finds it difficult to discuss the nature of his relationship with Heyman whilst his father is in the room. So obviously he'd kept his relationships quite private from his family, didn't want to upset his parents and he found that very difficult to, to face up to when in the room with his dad. On February 28th, 1999, in the early hours of the morning, Heyman Lee's Nissan Sentra is found. Police interview Jay Wilds for the first time and he tells them one version of the day's events before leading police to the exact location of Hay's car. He gives the police the recollection of his events. It is this recollection of events that would incarcerate Adnan Saeed. 10.45am, Jay receives a call from Adnan. 11.45am, Adnan and Jay go to Westview Mall. Adnan confesses to Jay that he's going to kill Hay. 12.30pm, Jay takes Adnan back to school. He keeps Adnan's phone and car. 12.35pm, Jay arrives at Jen's house. 12.45pm, Jen arrives home. 3.40pm, Jay receives a call from Adnan and is told to meet him at a strip of Edmondson Avenue. 4pm, they meet at Edmondson Avenue and Jay is shown Hay's body in the trunk of her own car. And that is the bit where Jay refers to her corpse as kind of tied up like a pretzel in order to get her into the boot. 4.15pm, Hay's Nissan Sentra is dumped on the I-70 park and ride. 4.35pm to 5.05pm. Adnan and Jay smoke weed at Patatsko State for around half an hour. 4.30pm. Adnan is taken to track practice by Jay. Jay goes home. 6.45pm. Adnan calls Jay on his phone and Jay picks up Adnan from practice. 7pm. They head to McDonald's. Adnan speaks to the police while the two are at McDonald's. 7.15pm. The two drive to Jay's house to collect a shovel and pick. 7.30pm. Jay and Adnan go back to the park and ride to collect Hay's car. With Adnan driving Hay's car and Jay driving Adnan's car, they scour the area. The rest of these events have no definitive timings. Jay and Adnan arrive at Leakin Park. Adnan buries Hay's body. Jay reported that it took Adnan about 30 minutes. They leave Leakin Park and leave Hay's car in a residential lot. At Westview Mall, they dispose of Hay's personal belongings. They make their way to go to the shop, the 7-Eleven. Jay is taken home by Adnan. Jay confides to Jen that Adnan killed Hay. Jay tells police that he did not want to confess beforehand as he knew his vulnerability. He was a drug dealer who was selling to high school kids and in his own words, I was also around a bunch of people earlier the day at Cathy's and I didn't want them to get fucked up with homicide. At 6am, Adnan Syed is arrested at his house. The police had begun to build a case around Adnan Syed after Jay Wilds confessed to the police that he had helped Adnan with burying Hay's body. This is the first time he would be interviewed by the police. So a lot to unpick there, which to be honest, we'll go into more detail later on about how a lot of things Jay says there. I mean, as we say, Jay would go on to say, change his story over seven times at certain, at certain points and the car being a big factor in this. Yeah, because without the context of what his other statements how they appear like that sounds like a really concise line of events mm. but as as tom said they will change frequently and drastically over the coming weeks March the 1st, 1999, Adnan Saeed has his initial bail hearing on this day. The court documentation showed Adnan's birth year as being 1980. This made him 18, when in fact his real age was 17 because he was born in 1981. 
Consequently, Adnan was tried as an adult and was denied bail because of this error, which is, that's a big error to make. It's kind of the kind of things where the other lawyer, if they're on it, can pipe up there. But yeah, mad. On this day, Asia McLean, a friend of Adnan's, pens a letter to him whilst he is incarcerated and reports that she saw him at the library at the time of Hay's murder. This letter will become crucial to Adnan's case later on. Within the letter, she writes, If you are in the library for a while, tell the police and I'll continue to tell what I know even louder than I am. My boyfriend and his best friend remember seeing you there too. And yeah, so one of the big points here is that Adnan's lawyer wouldn't use this in his defence. Joke. Which is absolutely wild. Um, but there's lots to be said about her as well. March the 18th, 99 through to April the 14th, 1999, Jay Wilds is interviewed by police a further three times during this time. On March 18th, Jay directs the police and shows them the route that he and Adnan took on the day of Hay's murder. Another interview done with the police shows that Jay and the police talked for approximately three hours before the tape recorder was even switched on, which is just... As well, he's he's a petty drug dealer. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Baltimore police, by the way, you can look into it. There's lots of stuff about them, you know, changing things and, and yes. basically meddling and lots of cases being thrown out because of how the police behaved over this, over this period of time as well for different cases. But three hours before recording sounds so much like coercion in terms of like, yeah, definitely telling them what to say. And there's even reports of like bits where you can see someone tapping on the table and he's saying certain things and yeah. changing it. And even some of the recorded ones, you can see the police then feeding words to him as well a bit. Going, oh, so that's when yeah. this happened then. And it's like, yeah, yeah. It's Very re- reminiscent of the, um, the West Me- well, confession tapes, right. the West Memphis Free, making a murderer. There's like, there's always something like this. And I also research in this case, I didn't expect Jay to sound like he does because he actually fairly well spoken when you see some of the quotes from him and, and the, the way that his story changes and how easily he's manipulated but he speaks quite well which I was which I was surprised by but yeah they, they are speaking to him for three hours before the tape recorder was even started in this second interview Jay changes his story and now places himself at different locations during different times coincidentally his new story correlates with newly found cell phone records Yes, yeah, so that's one of the points is the fact that, yeah, he, it would be some new evidence comes out and then he goes, oh, I remember this bit now. So as soon as the police get any little bit more information, he's able to add to his story, which They're again... feeding that information yeah. to him as well, aren't they? Which I'm sure is not okay. Definitely not okay. Yeah. September 1999, Jay Wilde signs a plea deal which finds him guilty of accessory after the fact. He agrees to testify against Adnan Saeed. As a result, Jay is given two years probation and no prison time. Despite confessing that he knew about the murder of Haymin Lee, hid this from police, and admitted that he lied because he was scared he would have been arrested for his drug dealing and helped him burying a body. I mean, that's so that is unbelievable. You can't help but feel, I mean, this is my speculation here. The fact that Jay Wilds probably had some things against him, you know, some laws in the US for drug carrying drugs, what, how long can be put away. We can wipe your record if you can help us with this. It just feels Make like it that. all disappear. Yeah. October 1999, Don is asked for his timesheets for the day that Hey Min Lee went missing. This is, this is like 10 months after she's... Yeah. So this is a very curious part. He worked at the same shop as Hey Min. On that particular day, he had been transferred to another location. Everyone who worked there, they'd had their own uh, ID numbers. And some reason, when he went to this other place, he had done his timestamp with a different ID number, which is very peculiar. Mm-hmm. And it's there's no reason why you would do that. He also said that he went there... Just do a shift from nine till 
I believe six and he apparently for the shift he was doing they would never stop before 11 yeah he claimed to work late into the night as well so giving him in theory a perfect alibi and a reason yeah. why he didn't call the police back but opticians the, usually close exactly sort of quite promptly yeah yeah it's very odd and like the police weren't really looking into don that heavily like we mentioned the person that, that sorted out his timesheet was his boss who happened to be his mum mm. and the person who was manager of the other store what happened to be his mum's girlfriend so that's curious the fact that they were able to cover him with that yeah. and the police didn't really look into this or think this was weird or even look into the times and see oh, that's strange mm-hmm. and as we said he's been so blasé with behaviour after she's gone missing it's all very odd yeah. and there's a follow up documentary where they try to interview him and he very much just shrugs him off and he's like doesn't want to speak to him which you can understand why it was also revealed that his his timesheets had been manipulated either by himself or his family long before he was even questioned by police yes yeah, before um, before uh, the body was discovered which would go on to question why would you manipulate time codes and give yourself a, an alibi strictly yeah. if you because he he speculated the idea that maybe she went she ran away to California he, he did yeah, he yeah. floated those ideas out there so why would you then change the time and as as we said it was his mum and his mum's girlfriend in the other place so why are you asking to manipulate like those if unless you're looking for an alibi it yeah, seems exactly. very odd so the only argument to that is that they saw how quickly they turned on um, Adnan and were placing pressure on Adnan and maybe they were quickly trying to make him safe but even then that's yeah. a stretch isn't it December 15th, 1999. So Adnan's trial had initially commenced on the 8th of December, but as soon as it starts, it is ruled as a mistrial. The jury had overheard a discussion between Christina Gutierrez, who was Adnan's defence attorney, and the judge. Christina believed that a statement made by the judge accused her of lying, and obviously the entire jury heard this. Once it was made known that the jury had heard this discussion, Christina was allowed a motion for a mistrial on December the 15th. In January of 2000, a second trial begins, and the trial goes on to last for six weeks. February 25, 2000, taking into account cell phone records and mostly Jay White's testimony, after two hours of deliberation from the jury, Adnan Saeed is convicted of first-degree murder, kidnapping, false imprisonment and robbery. He is handcuffed and tells himself, I'll be alright, I have faith in the Lord, I know I didn't kill her. The Lord knows I didn't kill her. This all happened very, very quickly. Yeah, and another thing to kind of state here. So the the um, prosecutors were the whole whole of the Muslim community were behind Adnan, and they they actually came to the courtroom and you know showing the support that you know very uh, strong community. The prosecutor was basically saying it's been reason not to give him bail or let him out on bail is essentially this is you know this is there's a pattern with muslim the muslim community they'll kill someone who's rejected them and then they'll flee yeah, which, which comes across very xenophobic saying that you know there's a pattern that they do this and they even as a term yeah and because of that that people believe that that's why the, the, the judge didn't actually allow him bail was because as we said we'll go on to it a bit more but the evidence is just there's so no, weak. there's none it's no. just jay white's um, and it's the phone records but then who was driving the car that had the phone in it exactly yeah yeah march 25th 2000 asian mclean writes an affidavit for adnan saeed june 6th 2000 adnan is sentenced to life imprisonment plus 30 years so yes yeah, so that's where we get to he gets convicted from the um with this very loose evidence yeah it's as we said there's been failures here from i mean a lot of people uh, say his lawyer which would mm-hmm. actually be one of the reasons they could actually go on to get another 
trial that she yeah she completely ignores the fact there's a witness who's written a letter saying that i saw him as well said my boyfriend which would have been yeah clearer for that time she ignored that completely a lot of people like internet sleuths or podcasters would go on to do a lot more research afterwards and that would reveal a lot of missing information which we're going to go into with the aftermath now so during his conviction adnan did try to appeal his sentence numerous times in march of 2003 his first appeal was denied by the court of special appeals this would not stop him from reapplying In the May of 2010, Justin Brown, Adnan's new lawyer, files a second appeal for post-conviction relief on the grounds of ineffective assistance of counsel. Ultimately, this appeal would be denied. The appeal was rooted in the fact that Asia McLean's letter was not used by Christina Gutierrez, but in 2010, the judge argued that this may have been done so to protect Adnan. I don't know how that would protect Adnan. I don't either. And another thing to mention here is So when they found the body There was a bottle of brandy next to it And there was a rope next to the body as well Which you know if it was asphyxiation Rope could be used And they were never DNA tested A lot of things weren't DNA tested And people have said well why didn't um, the lawyers you know, try and get a new retrial, ask for DNA testing to be done. But it's if you were to DNA test the rope and it wasn't Adnan, you could say, well, that wasn't anything to do with the strangulation. So it, yeah. it doesn't mean anything. So it, yeah. that's the reason why they wouldn't go on to do that. If this case is to happen again, they might go on to do, to do DNA testing on the rope. The other thing as well is that the bot, well, she'd been dead for a number of weeks and the bodies show, although there was some mold on the corpse, there was no sign of animal. Um, yeah. The, the corpse had no signs of animal interference or any kind yeah, which of decomposition like lends that. the idea that the body had been placed there a lot later to a lot yeah. later, later date, which would go against uh, Jay Wild's statement. At the car, it was particularly cold and, fr- and frosty and horrible weather out there at the time. Where the car was found, there's a, a, quite a famous picture of it now, where the car next to it, you can see the dead dirt underneath the car, which had been there for some time. The grass underneath Heyman's car is completely clean. Mm-hmm. And even you can see green grass on the actual tyres itself, which if it had been stormy or been there for six weeks, the grass isn't going to be fresh and green. Yep. It seemed very obvious the car had been moved there at a later date. One of the wiper columns on as well had been fiddled with, which would imply apparently the reason you'd do that in that particular car was that it would make it be easy to hotwire. So it's thought that, and sorry, and another thing, sorry, there's so many of these things. Jay Wilde said originally that they had discarded her items, but it was actually in the boot of a car. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh no, yeah, we just went discarded in the back of the boot. It's yeah. like, well, that's not what you meant. It's, it's, <laughs> and Jay Wilde had a, had a history of hot wiring cars, didn't he? So yeah, it's, it's all just very, very loose. In 2014, the infamous podcast Serial is released. This podcast details an extensive deep dive into the case and questions those who knew both Adnan and Hay and raises questions about possible other suspects and theories. Lee's family refused to be participants in the podcast. The podcast proved to be hugely successful and was downloaded over 100 million times by June of 2016. It is widely regarded as one of the first true crime podcasts and has since had a significant impact on podcasting as a whole. Think about that. It's like, because you've listened to a bit of it as well. It has, I think it was like one of the ones that would lead the way, but it's done and still in a very fresh way. Like yeah. Compared to that podcast, it's still very fresh. The, I mean, her voice is incredible anyway, very easy to listen very to. Very good storyteller. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very, very good. If you haven't listened to it, I highly recommend going to listen to it. With that amount of people listening to it, I'm sure. I'm sure you probably have, to be fair. On the 6th of February, 2015, Maryland's Court of Special Appeals allows Adnan's team to appeal the denial. 
In November, the case is reopened following some new information and in February 2016, his hearing begins. Asia McLean's letter is used as evidence that Adnan could not have committed the murder as she suggests she's with him in the library during this time. Moreover, a document sent from AT&T shows that only outgoing calls can be used to give reliable location information. It is important to know that only incoming calls were used as evidence to convict Adnan. Therefore, Adnan is granted permission for a retrial on June 30th, 2016. Yeah, it's been said by lawyers and documentaries about this that those you could never use those phone records as any hard evidence, which is literally what they pinned most of this on. I think the first sheet that they had literally just said as well, outgoing, like on mm. right in front of the main bit of evidence they used, but they still were able to somehow use it. In November of 2018, Adnan was offered a plea deal, which he would go on to turn down. This part, I was, I had two thoughts about whether whether that's him simply, I didn't do it and I'm not taking your plea deal because mm. I didn't do it. Or by this point, as he gained so much support of his family and his friends and the Muslim community that he doesn't want to then accept that and kind of show any kind of sign that he was even partly guilty of this crime. So he didn't want to let his, his community down. I suppose. So in the second point there, as in if he had done it. Yeah, but he'd, okay. he'd created this because he, he was, he was many viewed him as like a um, scapegoat. He was, yeah, he was very much kind of symbolized as someone that was completely innocent. Wrongly imprisoned. Wrong, yeah. yeah, wrongly. Yeah, he was, um, yeah, I can't get my words out. Sorry. So if he had accepted this plea deal, he would have to have admitted that he was responsible for the death of Haymin Lee. And despite the plea deal meaning he would only have to serve four more years in prison, Adnan still would not accept culpability for Hay's murder. Which I do think like that would... That's a huge sign of... Innocence in my head. Innocence, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, West Memphis 3, like they, you know, one of them was adamant not to admit, get, take the plea deal. But they were like, fuck it, let's just end this shit now and get out of here. But... Mm -hmm. It's like Michael Peterson as well. He didn't want to take the plea deal. It's true. It's true. But um, some uh, people just think, I just can't waste any more of my life in here. I need to get out. Well, at this point, he'd already been in there for 18 years. Mm. And um, it's quite interesting. What is? People serving like, sentences uh. like, wrongfully. Nearly forgot. <laughs> Jingle. Ben Carter's interesting facts. Interesting facts. Are they? I don't know. Interesting facts. Facts. Welcome back, boys. I thought we were going to get through an episode without it. No. <laughs> I'm sure the audience were kind of... Sorry. Wishful. <laughs> no, no, yeah? no, no, no. By the be, way, before it... we start, this cola you gave me, Ben. Bar cola. Yeah. Tastes like if squash did cola. Yeah, I think that's fair. I did say it wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. But welcome back, guys. I thought for this week's Interesting Facts, I'm going to keep it a bit more true crimey. Okay. Unusual, yeah, because usually I go off on tangents and then from that tangent I find another tangent and before we know it I'm talking about exploding teeth. You've got a bowl of tangerine, tangent reens in front of you. Tangent reens, yeah, I've got loads of tangent reens, one for you, one for Dan and a big juicy one for me. Took my joke and went on another tangent. Yeah, <laughs> sorry about <laughs> that. It's, it. what, it's, what, it's what I do. But I also found this one particularly interesting. Okay. So wrongful convictions, miscarriages of justice, unfair punishments for crimes that were not committed. There are so many and continue to be so many occurrences of this around the world that it's absolutely staggering. So you know me, I usually go, oh, what's the biggest, what's the longest, what's mm. the, you know. You always ask what's the longest. I do always ask what's the longest. Yeah, usually about cues and stuff, right? Yeah, that's yeah. what I meant. Yeah, that's what you meant. So I first thought, who has served the, so were you shaking your head at the camera there? No, I just looked at the camera and said, hey man. I didn't hear you. Oh. oh. So I first thought, who has served the longest sentence ever? based off of a wrongful conviction. 
And there were so many stories that popped up that are absolutely heartbreaking. But the current longest wrongful conviction sentence served, according to my research at least, is that of Anthony Mazza. Okay. How many years do you think Anthony ended up serving for a crime he did not commit? 47. Did you hold fingers up for him? No. How the fuck has he got that? Ish. Replay the damn cam. Dan Cam. Dan Cam. Dan, the Dan Cam. The Dan Cam. The Dan Cam. <laughs> I got away yeah, um, too. Well, the Dan Cam. Yeah, 47 years, Tom. You're absolutely spot on. Well done, you. Thanks uh, so points much. for you. I'll get you another bar cola, or you can choose not to have it. No drinks. I can't do it. <laughs> in the longest recorded wrongful incarceration in America, Anthony Mazza spent 47 years Fuck in jail yeah. for a robbery and a murder that he did not commit. I hope this payout is ex- extraordinary. Well, I hope so too. And uh, this you? happened in this happened in Boston. He was arrested in 1973 and was not released until 2020. Where at the age of 73, he was released on the grounds that his trial lawyer had been denied key evidence that pointed to his innocence. How annoying is that? Well, more than annoying, sorry, more than he's annoying. Like, when he got out, he said, "I'm slightly miffed." <laughs> So for most of the time that Anthony Mazza was in prison, he had no legal assistance. His attorney on appeal did not even ask that his conviction be reversed, only that his sentence be reduced because of uh, his supposed, and I quote, mental retardation. And that appeal was rejected quickly in 1974. The only witness, this is the part that just, oh, it rattled me, this part. The only witness who directly connected Mazza to the murder was a man named Robert Anderson an acquaintance of Mazza and the owner of the apartment in which the body was found. Oh, wow. Who drove the victim's stolen car for days after the murder. Hmm, trust him. Who also gave items of the victim's property to others, but who testified that Mazza alone was the killer. When he was finally released, Mazza became the 2,800th American defendant listed on the National Registry of Exonerations. So the 2,800 people that this has already happened mm. to and they've been released. I did then wonder how often does this happen? And apparently it's estimated that 1% of the US prison population are currently ah. serving sentences for crimes that they were falsely convicted of, which accounts to 20,000 people. What was his payout? His payout, I'll get that for you. Because surely yeah, it's a big one, yeah. It has to be a big one. Dan, would you do five years in prison for five million? He's thinking about that. He's really thinking about I think I'm going to... No. Okay, what about one year for 200,000? No. No. Okay. One year for one million? That's not on the the table. That's not on the table, no. I can't get his payout. Well, whilst Tom is looking for any kind of payout that the Mazza may have had, the leading factors in wrongful convictions are, and keep this in mind with um, the case that we're currently covering, eyewitness misidentification, false confessions, police and prosecutorial misconduct, flawed forensic evidence, and a perjured testimony. And then finally I thought, well, okay, who's, we've, we've talked about who served the longest sentence for a crime they didn't commit. Then I thought, who served the longest sentence for a crime they did commit? Right. Well, for more than 70 years, 70 years and uh, 300 or so days, a French-Australian homeless man named Charles Fossade was confined to the J Ward Mental Asylum in Artrite, Victoria, for murdering an elderly man in order to steal his boots. So he died while still incarcerated at the age of 92, and he was in prison for 70 years and 342 days. Must be some boots. Yeah, I know. And and, this will probably annoy you the person that served the second longest sentence ever missed out by 272 days 
probably annoyed him more than me. Probably annoyed him more than you. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I couldn't find an exact amount, but I found that a judge can order payment of $179 per day for each day of imprisonment, wow. capped at $65,000 per fiscal year. So $65,000 a year over 47 years, Dan? Oh, let me get a calculator. But then, so, <laughs> but then it says the restitution would not would be made as a combination of an initial payment not to exceed 100000 Well, what was at the point with the Stephen Avery case when he was going to take them? Because that was like multi-millions, mm. wasn't it? And then they got him again. Because he's guilty. Yes. Well. That's fuck. We'll do, we'll do an episode one day, maybe. He's guilty. Three million. It's not three million, is it? You just pull that out your ass. <laughs> he wants me to what say that. 65,000 times 47? Yeah. Three million. Crack on, go. boys. So there you have it, yeah. I think it's more, it'd be more than that. So that was a story of Anthony Mazza. Back to the app. Back to the app. Many appeals were made to try to deny Adnan's retrial by the state, and in August of 2016, the state of Maryland decides to appeal the judge's opinion for a retrial. Ultimately, their pleas would prove successful, and in March of 2019, the Court of Appeals denies his new trial. After they rule 4-3, to three, although Christina Gutierrez has been deficient, he was not prejudiced by this. Also in March 2019, one of the most popular documentaries of this year's aired is called The Case Against Adnad Saeed. Although many have since critiqued the documentary for its bias towards Adnan's innocence, the documentary uses new evidence to highlight inconsistencies within the case. The documentary's popularity causes some viewers to create petitions to plea for Adnan's retrial and eventual release. It's a very interesting one, that, that documentary. You see Adnan's mum in it, and you see how the family's affected. The dad looks like a shell of a man. Yeah, um, he became a bit of a recluse afterwards, yeah. didn't he? Yeah, and it's... Uh, it's very sad, especially if you if you believe Adnan is innocent. Yeah, it shows how you know. Obviously, everyone's life has been affected by it, but it's yeah. In August 2019, Adnan's lawyer filed for certiorari. Said like that, probably is the process in which a higher court reviews a lower court's previous decision. In October 2019, the state opposes this and lists all the reasons why Adnan Saeed cannot be innocent and why he should be denied. That word that I said so nicely. Certiorari. I can't imagine how long that list is. All the reasons he cannot be innocent. Surely it's Jay Wilde's mm-hmm. testimony. The phone The records. phone records. And they haven't got DNA. They haven't got witnesses. No no clear alibi that was omitted into mm. court. So it's so quite a short list. I would say so. The state tells the judge, in holding that Saeed's defence counsel was deficient, the majority of the Maryland Court of Appeals failed to afford counsel's strategic decision not to investigate McLean's claims the appropriate defence. If this court grants Saeed's petition for Sierra review, <laughs> Saeed will have to satisfy both prongs of an effective assistance of counsel and claim before he is entitled to relief. He can satisfy neither. His petition should be denied. Adnan Saeed ultimately was denied a new trial in November 2019. On the 1st of October 2021, the Juvenile Restoration Act would come into effect. This act states that anyone who was a minor at the time of their sentencing can ask for a reduction in their sentence, providing that they have served at least 20 years. As Adnan was eligible for this, his defence attorney, Erica Suter, filed an appeal under this act on the 2nd of October 2021 which was literally the day after the act came into force. Surely as well, if they figured out, oh yeah, we fucked up with the birth date. Really badly fucked up, yeah. You're like, well, that in itself... (laughs) This is when the case is examined by attorney Becky Feldman. Whilst examining the case, Becky found an abundance of issues that gave overwhelming cause for concern. In the May of 2022, Becky asked to view all the evidence of the Adnan Saeed case. She was not given immediate access to this, but eventually she and Erica Suter found 17 boxes of information, 
some of which had never been presented. 17 boxes. Absolutely wild. As Erica Suter commented, Mr. Said was unaware of the existence of this information or that the state possessed it in its files until 2022. Becky scrutinised the cell phone records and had two experts analyse the data. It came back to be unreliable. On the 14th of September 2022, a motion is filed by the state for the wrongful conviction of Adnan Saeed. New DNA analysis was conducted in 2019 and it is used in court. This analysis found that Adnan's DNA was not present in the evidence and in their motion, the state does not explicitly state that they do not believe Adnan is innocent but they argue that there is a lack of integrity in the conviction because of the handling of the case during his trial. The prosecution now details that a witness said that somebody they knew said they threatened to kill Heyman Lee and they had a motive to do so. This information was not presented to the defence and this is why Adnan's conviction has a lack of integrity. For this claim to be significant, it has to be known to be material. This means that this claim has to be known truth. The state now details that they have two new suspects in the case. No information regarding the identity of the suspects is released so they can protect their ongoing investigation. We do not know if the state believes these two suspects were together or if they were known to Hay. Furthermore, we are not told if one of these suspects was the one who said they would kill Hay. Right, I have an idea about that. J. Don. Don. J. Don. Jaden Smith. <laughs> There's also a person who was, who was strangled and found in that wood a year before. Yeah. Um, and the, the person who, was convicted, who eventually was found to be guilty of that murder was a young girl, an 18-year-old girl as well, who went strangled. to same school, strangled. And the person who later on found to be guilty of that murder was, a, was out at the time that this murder happened. Mm-hmm. Surely that should be looked at. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. There is no known record of the prosecution handing this information over to the defence, but this does not mean that this did not happen. The state claims that this is a Brady violation. And that's not when Tom Brady doesn't catch the ball. <laughs> yeah. Or throws it too far, if anything. No, but that's why, because he's not very good catching. Yeah. According to novilaw.com, which is a fantastic website, by the way, a Brady violation is another name for prosecutorial misconduct. Duh or when evidence that is not favourable to a defendant is withheld during a trial. This evidence may exonerate a defendant. Exonerate. Exonerate. You're the, you're the wrong set. Oh, hey, Dan? Did that not get you? That got me good. The state's motion argues that even its own evidence, which it had previously used to keep Adnan convicted, is now unreliable. They argue that the incoming cell phone records and Jay Wilde's reliability are both pieces of evidence that are no longer credible, which is, yeah. Now you get contracts as well, so the phone's probably not credible. <laughs> credible. It's a techie joke. Never almost Doctor Who. I thought you loved that. Oh, fuck. That was a tacky joke. Try harder. Try harder. I liked it. Exonerate! <laughs> Exonerate! <laughs> He's clapping. There you go. That'll really fucking work for that one. Saeed was released from prison on the 19th of September 2022 after it was found that the prosecutors did not put forward evidence which may have stopped this conviction back in 2000. Furthermore, DNA evidence helped to show that Adnan was most likely not involved in the murder. In October 2022, all of Adnan Saeed's previous charges were dropped as the judge had promised to do so if no DNA evidence could put Adnan at the scene of the crime. With no charges now against Adnan Saeed, the chances of there ever being a retrial are extremely slim, despite the efforts of Hay Min Lee's family, which is... Which her is, brother's been quite vocal. Yeah, it's really sad. It's, I mean, obviously, 
this thing obviously there's a big score of people that are so happy about Adam being released and obviously like countless people here listen to Serial watching the other things petitioning to try and get him released they, they're rejoicing in the fact that you know this innocent man is, is free but then on the, the flip side of it your family who are still suffering who now had to put, who had to go all those retrials had to go yeah, live relive them, it all relive it all their closure is now you know gone if they yeah. if they still strongly believe that it was him that committed the crime now the killer's walking free yeah. and it's now a kind of in a weird way a celebrity because of this podcast who are actively supporting it it's like any, any case you can't forget the name of the, the victim and you know her story as well which lives on but it's yeah it's a very if you believe he's innocent you also want him to be free but then you want someone hopefully one of these two new suspects hopefully that's going to come out on some stage some justice. And, and some justice is served yeah well that's the thing as well that this whole time he's served 22 years of his, his life behind bars but this whole time the actual killer depending on it's like most is like Depending on where you stand. Um, and the bar. Yeah, Mo. Never one Barney? <laughs> You've had enough, Homer, get out. <laughs> but yeah, depending on how you view this case, the, the the real killer or the real person responsible or or people responsible has been walking free this whole time. Yeah. Which is terrifying. And who knows if they've gone on to do, a, you know, half a thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, Ooh. sorry, crimes. They've gone on to commit other crimes. Absolutely. Perhaps. Perhaps, yeah. Since his arrest, people have continued to debate and question whether Adnan Saeed really did kill Haymin Lee. But if Adnan did not do it, who did? He's adding lament that he didn't do it. Not adamant, but um, yeah, standing the liver. <laughs> yeah, both of those were still alright ones, weren't they? I think so. Yeah. Alonso, uh, the individual that we mentioned that found Heyman Lee's body, uh, has become a suspect for many. Police found it peculiar that he had travelled 127 feet to find a stop to relieve himself. And That's he, a long way to go. He was especially pissed. Being, yeah, he's pissed up as well. So you're anything, more brave. You quicker. Yeah, you're yeah. brave. You just go a couple steps in. Unless it was yeah. a very scarce wood in terms of, like, it's very, you know, it's quite twiggy. I'm not talking about the model from the 70s. Um, yeah. Just being just visible. Twiggy woods. Yeah, if it's Twiggy yeah. Woods, you'd probably go a bit further in. But, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, so he travelled 127 feet into the woods, which is, a, which is a long way to go. Furthermore, he had prior convictions for indecent exposure and for trespassing. So why is he trying to hide it so much if he likes getting it out? <laughs> and he is, and he's, he's trespassing to bloody expose it down. <sighs> yeah. When he was asked in court for his account of the day of February 9th, he told the court, I don't recall that day, I don't know what you're saying. After his memory is jogged, he becomes defensive and says that without specific details to help him remember that day, how could he? Furthermore, the marks found on Hayes' shoulders are widely speculated to have come from concrete slabs. Alonso had a background working with concrete on odd jobs. Another popular theory for many is that a serial killer named Roy Davis, and this is who Tom talked about earlier, was involved in the murder of Heyman Lee. Four months before the murder of Heyman Lee, another Woodlawn student named Jada Lambert was found in the same park. Both women were the same age and both were abducted after they had left school. Roy's DNA connected him to the murder of Jada and he was convicted in 2004 for her rape and murder. Roy lived in the area and would go on to be incarcerated at the same prison as Adnan Saeed. Jay Wilds is also a very plausible suspect for many. Many have questioned why he changed his story so many times. Jay revealed in an interview conducted in 2014 that he was scared of the consequences if he told the police the truth the first time round due to his involvement with drugs, but many do not believe this given the three-hour off-the-record conversation. Furthermore, he was very keen to place Adnan as the killer, but many have speculated he may have killed Hayed by himself. 
could Hayes Killer have been her boyfriend? This is the one I lean toward. Um, well, say that I'm Don Roy between those two, I think. Many find it odd that he was working at a different Lencrafter store on the day of Hayes' appearance. Although timestamps did show he worked that day, this information was not asked for the police for months after Hayes' appearance. Moreover, his mother, who was his boss, claimed that he worked that day, but some used caution when looking at this as his mother was his manager at Lencrafter store, and in addition, she was not working the day of Hayes' appearance. A co-worker recalled Don having scratch marks and bandages on his arm soon after Hayes' appearance. Don said he sustained these injuries from working on his car. I remember actually mm. cars do scratch you. Also, he did not call the police back until the early hours of the next morning when he claims to have arrived home at 7pm. What was he doing during this time? However, Julie Snyder, co-creator of Serial, combated these claims in an interview with Entertainment Weekly and said the reason he was not involved in the podcast is because Don doesn't want to talk and Don's alibi is solid. He was at work the whole time. Which, mm. I mean, I don't know how much she pried into it. Yeah. For me, there's a lot of inconsistencies. I don't believe Don. Don, not McLean in my eyes. <laughs> Since his release, Adnan Saeed has been faced with a barrage of criticism due to the nature of his high-profile case. The parents of Heyman Lee are still fighting for Adnan to be put back behind bars. They claim that they were not properly notified about the court hearing in September 2022. They feel that they were treated unfairly as they were not given enough time to appear in court. Adnan commented on this in an interview saying, we understand the Hayes family has suffered so much and they continue to suffer and it's just that we suffer too. However, Adnan has not let this stop him from trying to lead as normal a life as possible. Since his relief, he now works a full-time job at Georgetown University as a program associate for the university's prisons and justice initiative. As for the next steps, hopefully Heyman Lee's family will finally be able to get some closure once someone is convicted. However, they still believe that the correct person was put in prison originally. It is highly unlikely that Adnan Saeed will have to go to trial again for this murder. Some speculate that he may take the step to receive compensation for his wrongful imprisonment in Baltimore. Basically, he's been ruled that he was... You know, there's not enough reason to put him behind bars. I would have thought there'd be plenty of enough reason for them to give him compensation. Yeah. But then, yeah, would you risk it going back in there for a trial for then evidence he's then brought against you again? It's, yeah. I mean... It's a tricky one. Dan, straight to you. I mean, after hearing all that, obviously there's a lot for you to digest for someone who's not heard anything about the case previously. I'm, I, I think Adnan's... I think it's not him at all. No. And, and I'm, I think you said you're Roy and Don. Mm. Uh, yeah, I lean towards Roy. Yeah, on, um, the, on the documentaries, Don seems... He just seems... Sketchy, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, about the fact he doesn't want to talk, but and the weird, weird way he's acting afterwards. But obviously this other person has been proved of committing a crime on a similar suspect four months before mm -hmm. that's incredibly what do you what do you think this jay wilde did think, that for is I, that just to i literally think is a case of them going look we've got these things on you you can do a lot of time yeah but in terms of getting himself in that position in the first place is he automatically thinking you know what this has happened this girl has gone missing i can speculate that it's adnan in order to get uh, no i my think other i think the police brought tried. jay in because they knew he was hung around with him and then they said look we've got this on you yeah we need you sense. to work with us as yeah, well that felt targeted to me yeah, yeah. The three hours off the of the um of the uh, record conversation i mean Madness. And yeah, again, this is us, this is us speculating. There might be some other things we maybe have missed that perhaps prove this to be wrong. But mm. I believe that's what happened with Jay. I mean, I don't know how, well, to be saying, saying that, I was about to say, but he has gone on to say that he helped dispose of the body. But 
they, then he, went, he got his free of it. He went off. Yeah. He didn't go and do seven time for it. So it sounds like yeah, he had these drug charges maybe against him for dealing all this stuff, which could you know can serve years for doing that. Yeah. Look, look, we need you to work with us on this. You do this, you have to go down for this, but you won't actually do any time, and we'll wipe this off your record. Yeah. Is what I believe. I came ready with like my reasons for why I believe he's guilty, but having gone through this in more detail, I still feel very... The Don guy is just yeah. strange, so strange. Yeah, the Don guy is very strange. But my reasons for why I believe Adnan was guilty was, number one, he was the only person at the time with a form of motive in terms of the breakdown of his relationship and the rejection. On the breakup note that Haylin gave him, Adnan wrote, I am going to kill, and later claimed that he did not remember why he wrote that or even having wrote that. The cell phone tower records, though they've now been argued against in later retrials, did initially um, place him at the burial site of Haymin. People believe Jay just so happened to have Adnan's car and cell phone on the day that Hay went missing. And when Jay's friend picked him up, so when Jen picked them up, she saw Adnan there and they both had shovels. So apparently Jay's, Jay Wilde's story doesn't quite line up about the, the shovels and that Adnan already had them. Well, apparently um, the place where he said that he was shown the body changed seven or eight times. That's, yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. Jay, I, th- I think, yeah, I, I think Jay, it's, you could just rule out Jay, I personally think. He just what he says is just crazy. Adnan later claimed to police he did not remember what he was doing on January the 13th, but yet was aware he had the opportunity to go to Haymin. Haymin had once asked one of her teachers not to tell Adnan of her location due to the fact that they had been fighting and she had become scared of him. Rabia Chowdhury, who's the childhood and family friend of Adnan and also an attorney, she was behind the best-selling book about this case, a HBO documentary, and she also fed all of the information to the Serial podcast. Some have claimed it's really rife on reddit that she presents a lot of bias oh, yeah, throughout yeah. that whereas obviously i've only just started serial and i didn't i didn't get that vibe from the first episode i mean kind of as bias. it goes on i mean like i yeah i mean like most documentaries most things just they tend to tend to start to swing and like people will always speculate that it's what it goes swings more, more one way than the other and then there have also been multiple instances of adnan lying some of it being quite disturbing lies claiming in police interviews that Heyman desperately wanted to get back with him when she didn't and this was at a point that she'd also her body had already been discovered both of his brothers uh, are both quite active on twitter and they've obviously supported his pleas but yeah i'm not sure where i stand now i came here thinking guilty now i feel really weird about don but then roy there's, there's, but then so you don't think him though I don't know I still don't think he's completely innocent but I don't think he's completely I don't think he's guilty beyond reasonable doubt but I think he's definitely in my top three with Roy and Don some kind of yeah on the fence a bit but there was also some some uh, on Reddit that stated that Hay's mother had a very aggressive ex-partner who had a weird kind of fondness for Hay. Yeah, they didn't look into um, yeah him, um, him as well. They, they did basically look into anyone apart from Adna, yeah. which is yeah. They found the guy that they thought, oh, let's just put we'll everything onto on that. Yeah. yeah, that is the case of Adnan Saeed, innocent or guilty, or Ben's the serial murderer. We're going to go into quick, very quick lookalikes because I've only got one. Yeah, I struggled this week. So it's time for the lookalikes. What does it look like? That looks a little bit like that. Yeah, it looks a bit like it. So actually, me and Ben discovered that we both already picked this one, but we're just going to do one rather than me and Ben both doing it together. But a, a young Adrian Brody. Yeah, is exactly. It's the old eyes. I've, uh, I've I've dropped that one, so Tom Tom can have that one. I've gone for actor Mena Masood. 
you might recognise him from Aladdin. I mean, if you think of someone else on the right, but I can't think of who it is. And then I've also gone for Kevin from American Pie. Yeah, I think I see more of that. He doesn't look like someone else. Does he? he does. It's going to bug me. Going to bug me. But I think Adrian Brody is a good shot, and you picked a good you picked a good picture for that one. And guys, um, we we kind of doing a bit sporadically, but we're still you know still doing it. And, and just a quick reminder: it doesn't have to be an application to the cult. It can be a spooky little story. It can be a question you're dying to ask, perhaps. Send the application or or your message or story to the number on the screen now, and we're going to do a little bit of the cult of Igmap. The cult of ICMAP. Here we go. Dance buffering. Yeah. So we've had a little message from Theo. Hey, Theo. Here we go, Theo. Hello, Theo. Let me just turn up the volume. Hello, boys uh, and Ben. My name's Theo and this is Kate. Uh, we are from South East oh, okay. Kent and we're gardeners. Oh, I think that we could uh, we could definitely help the cult by, you know, keeping the place looking pretty, but also, you know, maintaining the boundary, keeping out unwanted, uh, etc. We've also just got bags of charisma, you know, so I really oh, hope that it. we could... We think that we can help with recruitment and, and the we're, like. loyal, we're loyal as fuck as well. Loyal as fuck. Oh, wow. So um, I hope you consider our application. Thanks. And we got dogs. We got lots of dogs. Oh. Dogs. dogs. Well, well I like keeping the boundary clean. Yeah. Definitely something we need. To- dogs. Well, you can be assistant to the gardener. Because I'm the gardener. Yeah, dance the gardener. Oh yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah. a serial killer name that we just established the other night on, on the on the live on the Discord. Yes. Which uh, you have to be a prestige member to do it. We do it monthly. <laughs> Bloody good laugh though. Plug. Gardeners, dogs. Loyal as fuck. I mean, to me it sounds good, but Dan, you're the head gardener. I think Ben's slightly miffed. No, I'm fine. It's not as big a mug off as I got from Ray Gunn, who then started messaging me. <laughs> Ray Gunn? Yeah, Ray Gunn. <laughs> yeah, come on in. He, met, yeah, he messaged not? me directly threatening me. It was so good, yeah. Tom, oh, yeah. He said, Tom, I'm coming for you. It's, Tom, it's Reagan. And he said, no, I like the show, but enjoy it where you can or something like that. Something. Oh, yeah. wow. Oh, he's gone nasty. He, he says I like it, but mm, watch your back, kind of thing. I was like, oh, oh wow. So, yeah, I'm, oh, okay. I'm walking around the cult grounds now with an eye, eye over my shoulder. Yeah, absolutely. Well, th- in that case, I won't I won't have a. What was this person's name? This one just now? Theo and Kate. Theo, Theo and, Kate. and Kate. Hi, Kate. Um, but Theo, yeah, fine. Come in. Joe, I think they're both in. Yeah, Kate's in, definitely. But Theo. Theo, welcome. Come in. Welcome. Let welcome. me break bread with you, brother. Okay, one more. This is from Alex. Hey, Alex. Hi, Alex. Hiya, I'm Alex. I'm currently in college doing my A-levels. So those are art, business and German. So I could bring some cultural stuff to the lovely ICMAP cult. I could also chill with the amazing artist that Phil Witten is. Oh, show some ideas on how Phil. we could create amazing but gruesome scenes. I'm half Polish. I love crime shows as well. I did scare all of my doormates in like year 10 with being watching serial killer documentaries mm-hmm. which Sorry. made a lot of people think I'm a Satanist for some reason mm. I get called emo very fr- frequently probably because I wear all black and listen to well good music mm. I've been listening Sorry. to your podcast since oh. COVID I think and all of you guys do make me smile and chuckle quite frequently I'd say 
That's nice. I yeah. love your stickers and have your post on my wall. Oh, brilliant. Which truly worried my mum as she saw murder written in giant red letters. <laughs> True. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, uh, <laughs> love you, Ben, Tom, and Dan. And have an amazing day, night, or whatever you're reading this. Great. Never heard it. Ben, Tom, and Dan. Yeah, so that's new. Yeah. Sounds weird that way. So yeah, lovely to know the po- a post from the wall. A post and some stickers. Wall, yeah, and some stickers. And I love the love the mention to Phil. Come yeah. on, to Phil. I love that. Because Phil. Phil had no choice. Phil is definitely in the cult. Yeah. And he's in a big, you know, one of the, on the ceiling, a big bit of artwork. Mural. Yeah, mural. That's the word. Yeah. Um, Murder mural. <laughs> yeah, me just on a big cloud, like doing that. Oh, like Zeus. Yeah, like Zeus. Zeus. There's another thing I can't say properly. <laughs> what do you say? Zeus. <laughs> Yeah, like that. You can never have too much art in the cult. No. Um, or culture. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a yes from me. It's a yes from a me. Yes. Dan? Welcome. Yes. Big yes from Dan. Big yes. The German probably swayed him. Yeah, probably. It always bloody well does. So yes, guys, if, if you're interested to join the cult, or as we said, share a spooky story, any true crime-related news, or anything you want to ask a question, or anything, you, a little funny story, be sure to message us on the number down below. Producer Dan is going to give the number now, where you can contact us over on WhatsApp. With his velvety voice. And you can also send a video. And the number is 01767 308 990. And if you're not in the UK, put a 44 at the beginning of that. Yeah. Yeah. And lose a zero. Easy as that. Easy as that. We have a Reddit. We have our own website, which has got over 100 exclusive episodes on there. ICMAP.co.uk. Join us. We'd love to have you. And we've got a really fun Discord over there. And we do live streams on there as well for the prestige members. And there's bags of merch. Merch only available if you're a part of cult. Some yeah. of the stuff, the cult merch. Yeah, absolutely. So if you are listening to this episode on the day of its release, on the Monday, or even the day after it's released, on the Tuesday, we will be doing the audience vote on Instagram on Wednesday. Yeah, so if you listen to this in a year's time, it means nothing to you. Why are you listening? No, Karen, listen, please. Yeah, join um, the app. Well, you've, it's finished. Yeah, let us know what you think. If you, if you are listening to us, why don't leave us a review on Spotify or iTunes yeah. or wherever you listen to your music. And if you watch us... Podcast as well, obviously. And if you watch us on YouTube, why not like, why not subscribe, and why not leave a little comment? Because any engagement is good for the health and well-being and of hit, the channel. And hit the bell. Ding. Like our bell ringer. Dong. Benjamin Gardner. I hit that bell. It sounded like you fucked the bell. When you said no, I that. just said hit. Yeah, but I hit that bell. <laughs> no, I don't mind. I, I hit the bell. <laughs> Thank you guys for listening or watching. We very much appreciate it. And we'll be back again next week with another very, very big case. And like we always say, we say this all the time. Keep doing what you're doing. Ooh, my, my tummy. <laughs> Unless it's. Uh... Unless it's, well, this week. Wearing bulger on your top? Yeah, got a big bulger. Supporting bulger. Louisville Sluggers. To be fair, black and grey is all, and is this like, is this yellow or green? It's yellow. Black, grey and yellow. I don't know what your point is there. Unless it's um, not submitting your evidence correctly. Not getting his fucking date of birth correct. Mm. There's just two things, don't do that. Um, Oh, his tummies. Um, <laughs> unless it's uh, walking 176 foot into a forest for a wee. Or 127, that's just as bad. Yeah, anything over 100. Hmm. It's too far, just wee. 
don't drive, drink and drive. That's one of the things. <laughs> yeah, that we don't. We don't agree with right? We don't agree with we that. Def- we definitely don't. Especially me. Especially you. <laughs> Finally. Anyway, guys, two pip. And you can also send a video. Not anything like that, though. What? What? Why did you open the boobs? Because we don't want videos like that. Opening boobs. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I Could Murder a Podcast is proudly part of the ACAST Creator Network. For hundreds of extra minisodes and other content, along with our private Discord server and live Q&As, exclusive merch and much more, consider subscribing to icmap.co.uk.